Chapter 13 The Lions of Ebla After leaving Baalbek, Girgos and Sonia continued north from the Lebanon mountains onto the Kadesh plain and into Ebla. They were guests of Aziru, staying in places friendly towards the Amorites. Wow, Girgos exclaimed when they walked closer to the massive walls in front of them. So this is Ebla. I'm very impressed. Many soldiers were walking the parapet above the entrance. Oh, there are a lot of soldiers, Sonia said. They must be bored. We've got a few near the tower looking at us. She waved at a group of four men looking over the stone wall. One of them waved back. Who's in charge of Ebla, Aziru? Girgos asked. Who must I worry about offending today? Aki Teshub is the king of Ebla, Aziru replied, but he is not here. He has taken his chariots north to accompany Artatama, the king's brother, to fortify the frontier. That is the reason so many soldiers are stationed on the gates. And the gods? Who are Ebla's gods? Ishtar and Reshef, Aziru said. Ebla was a city fortified with an earthen mound running around its entire perimeter, ranging in height from thirty to forty feet. The wall was further protected by a moat to fend off chariots and battering rams. During emergencies, when the four gates were closed, there was no protection for anything or anyone outside the walls of Ebla. Near the gates, the dirt mound melded into stone blocks, creating impenetrable, perpendicular walls. The four large gates, one at each corner, were the ultimate protectors of the city and the surrounding population. Girgos, Sonia, and Aziru approached the southwestern Damascus Gate. The road narrowed, funneling the travelers onto a wooden bridge. This was the same gate through which Katie and Renee entered Ebla thousands of years after the barriers fell and the moat filled with dirt. The group entered through a gate into a trapezoidal courtyard with walls thirty feet high and only two doors. Soldiers wandered freely along the parapet high above, watching their every move, ready to turn this passageway into a killing chamber. By closing the doors and shooting arrows straight down, intruders could be trapped and picked off one by one inside the blocked courtyard. A sixty-foot tunnel veered off from the killing floor at an angle. A soldier came from the administration building behind the gate. He was the assessor and collected taxes from traders. Does anyone have anything to declare? he asked. No, we're travelers, not merchants, Aziru said. Very well. The fellow let them continue inside the walls of Ebla. They made their way around the central, mounded citadel, skirting downtown. Girgus's tenseness diminished as they walked deeper, becoming lost in the mess and stink of people. What is this structure? Girgus asked, as he pointed to a windowless stone fort within the walled city. It looks like a second barrier wall, but the wall angles are reversed as if these walls were keeping things inside. Precisely, Aziru exclaimed. That is where Ishtar's sacred lions are kept. The travelers made their way to the far northeastern suburbs, the Amorite section on the northern edge of town, between the Euphrates and Aleppo gates. Girgos sighed with relief as Aziru waved at acquaintances, nodding at them in recognition and exchanging hellos. Aziru and a young man with a quick smile came together in a firm embrace. Hello, Aziru, the man said. He had dark hair and a deeply tanned face. His brownish-green eyes sparkled. He was happy to see his cousin. How is Uncle Abdi? He's doing fine, Ingo. Where's your mother? We're hungry. Let her know we're here. Ingo pulled his older cousin inside. Come in and bring your friends, Aziru. The apartment was not much more than a hole in the wall. A cluster of five families shared the large kitchen area. 
Bathroom facilities were outside. Let's see what Aunt Bulbada has for lunch. Aziru ducked inside a sheepskin doorway. Girgos and Sonia waited as they heard affectionate hellos murmured from the other side. The mood carried forward as aunt and nephew announced lunch. The kitchen filled with happy exclamations and cheerful talk. Ingo left to tell the neighborhood Aziru, the mighty warrior, was here to visit. Eat quickly, Aunt Bulbada said. We will soon be busy with visitors. Ingo has been talking about this day for two weeks. Finishing his meal, Girgus was tired and looked for a quiet place to relax. Bulbada offered him a bed for a nap. Girgus accepted and ducked inside. But Sonia and Aziru were just getting started. Being away in Byblos for two years, she wanted to catch up with her old friends. A few hours later, Sonia gently pulled Girgus from his slumber. Girgus, wake up. It is time to move on, she said as she shook him. What? Where? North of here to Nasser's home, a few hours from the Aleppo gate. Can't it wait until tomorrow? Girgus asked, not at all motivated to be moving again. No, it cannot. Sonia's people needed this learned man of letters to translate and unlock Egyptian secrets for them. Groaning quietly, Girgos pulled himself from the bed and followed her. Quickly, word spread across Amorite Ebla. Abdiya Shirta snagged a valuable prize, and it was time to celebrate at Nasser's place. Girgos didn't have much to say on the way, staying close to Sonia as he walked among the parade of excited villagers. The wives were the proudest and loudest. Their high-pitched ululations proclaimed their pride, letting the world know their men were the best and the worst around. Nasser's house was a large one, with a big inner courtyard. Girgos followed through the front portico. Fourteen men with dagger belts, the soldiers of the expedition, stood talking, relaxing from their foray. Two wooden boxes sat in the middle of the courtyard, both broken open, exposing their contents. Girgos approached them for a better view. Excuse me, someone tapped Girgos on his shoulder. We have something we need your learned opinion on. Nodding, Girgos followed the fellow to the back of the courtyard, through a side door, and down a hallway. Six others were in a room, standing around a rectangular table. The soldiers in their dusty, dirty kefia, thobs, and suna pants looked up. Recognizing Girgos as the learned one, they opened a way to the table. He approached and stood next to Aziru, who gestured toward three tablets lying on the tabletop. Where did you get these? Girgos asked. On the road to Kotna. Girgos placed his hands on the first piece of dried clay. He read the cuneiform inscriptions. This is a royal seal from Toshrata. These are official papers from the Mitanni king to Egypt's pharaoh, Akhenaten. That's why it was coming from Washukani. A cheer of approval went through the men. What does it say? Aziru asked. Girgos spent a few minutes reading Toshrata's note. A smile crept across his face, and he chuckled realizing this king of Mitanni was as whiny as Ribhada, the mayor of Byblos. This first one is to Queen Taye, the widow of Amenhotep III, Akhenaten's dead father. Tushrata is complaining to the queen. He says her dead husband promised him statues of solid gold in return for Tushrata's daughter. He began to read, I have asked your husband for gold statues, but your son has sent gold-plated statues of wood. As gold is like dust, in the country of your son. Why have they been the reason for such pain? Your son should not have given them to me. Neither has he given me what his father had been accustomed to offer. What does it mean, Girgus? Aziru pressed. Apparently, Tushrata feels he is owed more of a gift, 
because he complains the statues sent to him are only gold-plated. What do the other tablets tell you? Girgos read for a few minutes and translated. Toshrata sent this to the pharaoh, whom he calls brother. It seems he has sent the Ishtar statue to the pharaoh. Was the Ishtar statue found with these tablets? No, the statue was sent earlier, an older fellow replied, and the move stirred Ishtar's anger. The man took a step toward Girgos and held out his hand. I am Abdi Ashurta, he said, and I lead these brave men. Good afternoon, sir. Girgos straightened his back and shook hands with Aziru's father. Girgos now felt acceptance from the group and became more relaxed with them. What do the boxes in the courtyard contain? he asked. We have requisitioned a fortune in Canaanite dye, my men and myself. It was taken on the road to Washukani. The tablets were taken two weeks ago. I kept them here waiting for your arrival. The dye came yesterday, along with his newer tablet. Girgos bent down to read the third tablet and looked up at Abdi Ashurta. This is unbelievable. Something huge has happened in Lalish. Tushrata is asking Pharaoh to send the Ishtar statue back. Whatever happened is frightening him. Look, he pointed to a line on the tablet. Tushrata's nervous and says he's sure this thing has something to do with the Hittites. He shook his head. This is unbelievable, he repeated. Tushrata is sending other gifts to Egypt to make up for it so he does not anger the Pharaoh. Sonia wiggled her way next to Girgos. Anything else? Girgos shook his head. Aziro stepped close to him. Girgos, will you come with us? My father and others would like your counsel. Girgos and Aziro followed Abdiashurta and a handful of men into another room, an inner sanctum conference room. Girgos waited in line for his turn to remove his shoes before he stepped onto the carpet. Unlike the room near the patio, this one was windowless, with whitewashed walls of packed clay. A brightly colored fresco of an orange bull on a blue background was painted on the north wall. Twelve men were gathered, sitting cross-legged on the carpeted floor. They gave their attention to the wise men, Abdiashirta and Girgos, as they entered. Abdiashirta started with introductions. Girgos, my respected scribe, I thank you for blessing us with your presence here today. I wish to extend greetings from our Habiru allies. Here is Elias, chief of the Habiru, with his son Jamel. They are anxious to secure land in Canaan, Levant, and Syria. The men nodded their heads, formally recognizing each other. Abdi Ashurta turned to the fellow on his left. Elias, my brother, your distant relatives welcome you to Nasser's home. Do you have anything you wish to say? Yes, thank you, my brother. We in the south, in Canaan, closer to Egypt, have been feeling much uncertainty regarding the pharaonic rule. Yes, Abdi Ashurta spoke. From our efforts, Egypt's Amuru province fell from Akhenaten's rule like a leaf dropping from frost. Some say Akhenaten is daydreaming. What do you think, Girgos? Girgos shook his head. I do think he is preoccupied. The king of Egypt has changed religions. Pharaoh has combined all gods into one, called Aten. He has moved the religious capital to Armana, and the old priests are now unemployed. With nothing to do, they stir trouble and spread rumors. You will have little to worry about from Akhenaten. Abdi Ashurta nodded. And now, allies of Tushrata are moving into Supiluliuma's orbit, ready to embrace Hittite allegiance. It may be possible to sway them to our side, because they also are Amurite. Aziru felt it was time for his ideas to be heard. I do not see a future for Tushrata if he feels free to give the statues of the old gods away. He made a mistake taking Ishtar from Nineveh. 
Hopefully he has learned. The elder Habiru, Elias, spoke up. The boy is right. Toshrata's attempts to replace Ishtar are backfiring. He worries, especially because the Yazidi temple in Lalish has been visited by Ishtar herself. The goddess has actually come? How do you know? Is this a certainty? Girgus was incredulous. This can't be real. But Elder Elias persevered. It is true. It is Ishtar herself at Lalish Temple. I've heard it from many voices now, and have not heard any naysayer. Talk travels quickly in the caravans. The goddess appeared, Girgos, in the temple sanctuary. She descended from above, clothed in divine blue color, and wearing divine instruments of fertility. Do you trust those who tell you about this? Yes, I am certain. Aziro jumped in enthusiastically, nodding. Girgos, people recall prophecies from before. We were told this would happen. They say she is dark. She has black hair, brown skin, and deep black eyes fit for a goddess. And her youthful beauty, her strong will, and her leadership will bring the change the Yazidis yearn for. We must help people remember the legend preceding her, for she can be quite helpful if she favors us. Girgos remained skeptical. However, he was experienced at surviving in a group. He would follow the course of public opinion and investigate this new apparition for himself. Hopefully, he too could find a way to use this event as an opportunity to strengthen his status. It wouldn't hurt him to go along with this. He turned to Abdiashirta. My esteemed brother, what do you propose we do? Girgus was impressed by Abdiashirta's military and political acumen. The Amuru territory had become part of Egypt two hundred years earlier, when Tutmos III campaigned across Syria to the Euphrates River. But its ties to Egypt were very loose, and Abdiashirta capitalized on this. Amuru was a wild and anarchic region, infested with bands of semi-nomadic outcasts and outlaws known collectively as the Habiru. Felt to be a scourge, they swooped onto merchants and other travelers passing through their territory, and sometimes attacking towns and cities, plundering them and carrying off their crops before vanishing into their mountain lairs. I have brought the disparate Habiru tribes under my control, Abdiashurta said. I have united the bands. We are ready to fight for independence. This remains Akhenaten's territory, Girgos worried. You are attacking property of the pharaoh. I will not provoke Egypt outwardly, Girgos. I want to work in the pharaoh's shadow, befriend him, make him feel I am supporting him in the raids. How? I have an idea. Can you read this tablet from Egypt? When did you receive this? Girgos asked, scanning the symbols. It was passed to me before the raids, when I was in Ebla. It is from Pahate, and has Akhenaten's stamp, Girgos said. He is calling you a traitor and an enemy of Egypt. Girgos laughed. I don't think you're likely to befriend the pharaoh. But I see a different way to explain this, Abdiashurta said quietly, nodding thoughtfully. Please, write a response. Girgos nodded and found his writing kit. I'm ready, he said, pulling out a tablet-sized rectangle of clay. Let Pahanti know I entered Sumer to protect it after he departed for Egypt, leaving it defenseless. That's it? Yes, for Pahanti. Now, get another tablet for Akhenaten, please. Chuckling, Girgos did as instructed. Tell Pharaoh I give my undying support that I am his defender, not only of Sumer, but the whole of Amuru. You just proclaimed the title, but who gave it to you? Girgus was uneasy with loose ends. He won't worry about that when he reads the next sentence, Abdiashurta replied, and continued to dictate. Take my offer, great king. All the rulers, subject to the Mitanni, are trying to wrest your lands from you. 
but the pharaoh need not worry. I'm guarding your lands for you. End of chapter.